Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast, episode 11. Episode 11, we got a very special episode for you because it is one of the greatest times of the year. It's Golden Ticket season. Now, the Golden Ticket Awards are a very special uh, award ceremony in the amusement industry. Uh, the ceremony is going to be held in San Antonio this year on September 9th through the 10th. Uh, the event will welcome uh, the industry with a live ceremony as well as a networking opportunity. The host parks will be Morgan's Wonderland and Six Flags Fiesta, Texas. There's going to be an opening reception on September 9th, and the ceremony where they're going to actually have the awards is going to be on September 10th. So, Don, the Golden Ticket Awards are a big deal. They are a big deal, Ryan. Uh, Amusement Today's Golden Ticket Awards, it honors the best of the best in the attraction industry it is uh, you know very similar to the golden globes or an academy awards uh you, you know history is represented there uh just just a great event today has put on yeah i completely agree i mean the golden ticket awards are, are definitely um very special and it's uh very near and dear to a lot of people in the industry um let me ask you this so how long have the golden ticket awards been around it hasn't been as long as some people think no, Amusement Today, they introduced the Golden Ticket Awards in 1998, and it has taken place every year except for 2020 when, uh, you know, we had the pandemic. But, uh, you know, it has really grown to be almost the event of the year in the attractions industry. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, like you said, it's like the the Golden Globes and it's like the Grammys and everything all put together. And it's very marketable, too. Um, so what are some of the categories that parks around the world are typically up for? I know they change. Sometimes. Well, there's so many different. They do change, uh, but there's so many categories. You know, you have best park, best water park, best marine and wildlife, uh, most beautiful park. Uh, there's park of the year. There's the best water ride, best kids area, best Halloween event, best Christmas event, uh, best new show, best food, uh, best new roller coaster or attraction, uh, the best variants, best wooden coasters, best steel coasters. Uh, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a, a long list, and we've had, seen categories added and categories dropped, not unlike the Olympics, you know. Um, so is the voting panel the same every year? It, I know that they say Amusement Today subscriber. It's Amusement Today magazine that hosts the Golden Ticket Awards, but uh, and then there's other people around the industry. Can you, can you clarify as to who gets to vote on this stuff? Well, it's not the same panel every year. Today has never had the exact same uh, voters each year you know there are people that retire new people are brought in to, to vote on these different categories uh, you know what amusement today what they typically look for is a common thread you're trying to find the most experienced and well-traveled uh, you know park fans out there and you also have some suppliers uh, the, uh, that cover the industry they also are included in certain categories yeah yeah absolutely um so is it a situation where just like anyone can vote or do they send out the ballots or how does it work? Not everyone can uh, vote. There's normally a like a, a group of about 500 or so voters each year. And that's an equal number divided among the four geographical regions in the United States. Uh, you also have an international segment. So it's pretty well balanced out. Uh, you about the same number of people in each of those regions and internationally that are voting. So you get a fair kind of vote there. Everyone's kind of experienced uh, parks throughout the world. And, you know, when you look at it that way, so there's a lot of coverage there and it's well represented. And, um, you know, so that really adds a lot of credibility to the voting when it's not a, uh, an opportunity, uh, you know, where you might have a real strong enthusiast, you know, population. 
uh, and stacking the ballots, those kind of things. So it's, it's pretty well rounded out. Right. I mean, voting integrity is obviously very important. Um, so, what, you know, we're looking back at past winners. Um, and and you know, I was looking at the top 50 wooden roller coasters, and two have been in the top 10 every year. Uh, one has been Phoenix at Knobles, which I have not ridden, but I've heard is awesome. And the Beast at Kings Island. Uh, what is it about those two rides that kept them in the top 10, do you think? You know, I think there's a couple of different things that would factor into that. Uh, you know, one, both are great rides, you know, just terrific wooden roller coasters. The other thing about those two is that a lot of people who would be uh, voting, they have ridden uh, these two roller coasters. Uh, so, you know, they, they know what they're all about. It's not, uh, you know, just hearing from other people and that that might influence your vote. So they have firsthand experience uh, with them. But, you know, both coasters, they withstood the test of time. Uh, they're traditional, you know, type wooden coasters. Uh, and I think that plays a lot in it. You know, the technology and thing has changed uh, since these rides were, uh, you know, launched, you know, the Beast in 1979. And then the ride at Knobles, uh with Phoenix, I mean, mm-hmm. that uh, debut there in 1984. Five, they're traditional, uh, you know, they're everything everyone likes about a wooden roller coaster, and that's why they place in the top 10 every year. Yeah, I mean, there's something to, to be said about the, the consistency. So, okay, here, here's kind of a funny question for you. So, uh, random example, Zippin' Pippin' at Bay Beach in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It tied for 45th amongst wooden coasters. Would you celebrate that if you were Bay Beach? Fun fact, Zippin' Pippin', Elvis's favorite roller coaster. I wanted to beat you, you know, to that I mean, fact. <laughs> you, you did beat me to that. Uh, you know, yeah, why not? Um, you know, it's still a top big wooden roller coaster in the world. And that's a pretty big place. Uh, you know, you got to have some fun with that. Uh, you know, if you were that park and you were to, you know, um, recognize that, you know, with signage outside the ride, I mean, there's going to be a lot of guests that go there and take, you know, photos of it so there's going to be that uh you know sharing out there on social media about the ride and um you know it makes really when you say you know one of the 45 best in the in the world you know again i mean that adds something to it makes the ride you know feel a little bit more special when you're riding it that it is one of the best uh that's recognized so so yeah if i was there you know sure i'd have some fun with that and and want to um you know, promote I that. would too, but you know, I don't even necessarily think that it would be like a big joke, like oh, forty fifth, haha, that's like forty fourth loser. No, no, I'm not saying it would be a joke. I'm just saying, I mean, you you made the top fifty. I mean, there's something to be proud well, about. And that. plus, you know, it's like the top 50 there's anything. Uh, first of all, if you're forty fifth out of thousands of roller coasters, that's pretty good. And secondly, if right. you're marketing this, then people are going to assume that it's a big deal. That, that's that's my thought yeah, with that. Exactly. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, but it is a big deal. If you're in the top 50 in any any kind of voting around, you know, just pick any any industry in your top 50. I mean, you're proud about so that. So you're saying like Ohio is a top 50 state in the United States? Would you rank it there? <laughs> sure, Ryan. <laughs> okay, sure. cool. All right. Well, Fury 325 uh, at Carowinds, Millennium Force at Cedar Point uh, have held down the top two seats for top 50 steel coasters for, you know, quite a while. Um, what do you think it's about that it's about those that really kind of gets them to the top? Because w- what's interesting about this is that Fury, I'm sorry, Millennium Force was the number one hands down for years, and Fury took that right away from it. But it seems like both coasters have their loyalists amongst the enthusiasts. What, what are your thoughts with that? Well, again, both terrific roller coasters. Um, I think when you look at like Millennium Force, it's a destination. 
for our coaster, you know, enthusiasts, thrill seekers, you know, they're going to go to Cedar Point. Uh, it's been out there 20, what, 22 years now, you know, so it, it's got worldwide recognition. Everybody knows, uh, you know, what that ride is and what it's about and what the thrill is. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to continue to rank high and, and Fury, you know, it, it came in in uh, 2015, you know, hit the ground since. And, uh, you know, both these, these parks are, um, accessible you know they're not out in the boondocks or anything like that anywhere so they're both you know accessible for you know a lot of the uh, wood boat uh you know to get to those parks experience these attractions and uh you know and they they deserve the rankings that they have as one of the top you know one two three wherever they, they may fall this year you know they're gonna um you know they deserve that distinction to be a top 10 steel roller coaster. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, I haven't been on Fury, but of course, you know, that's everybody's favorite coaster nowadays, but I have been on Millennium Force several times and that ride is, uh, it's got something special to it. I'll tell you that much, you know, being on the beach and yeah. And, and when these rides open, you gotta remember when these, these two coasters open too, I mean, uh, Millennium Force, I mean, that set a new threshold for, uh, steel coasters for height speed, you know, all those kind of things. And, uh, Fury, you know, with its height speed, uh, you know, they were among the most talked about, uh, new attractions when they opened and they continue to be among the most top talked about, uh, attractions today. So, um, you know, that's, that's a big reason why they rank as high as they do annually. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that, um, they were probably millennium force was probably the most talked about attraction until top throw dragster, you know, so it's Cedar point kind of killing their own fire with more fire. But, um, you know, when Fury came out, uh, Fury is uh, the the advantage of Fury is that there was 20 years of development between the two, so that's why it's able to be maybe a better ride. I, I don't want to make that assertion because I haven't ridden it, um, but it's a uh, anyone who's ridden it's 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 one of their top three. I'll tell you that much. You know, um, yeah. So uh, does it help to like? Let's say, like, if Ace has Coaster Con or something at your park, does that help with the voting? Like, let's say you're opening a new ride, you host Coaster Con. Um, do, do you, are those, is that a big garnerment of votes or like, does that not affect anything or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it certainly enhances it a little bit. Uh, you know, what you're doing when you have these national uh, events, like if Ace has their summer convention at your park or have a park sponsored event. Uh, you get a little bit outside your backyard uh, with who's coming to this event. You know, you get maybe, you know, um, 30, 40, um, you know, percent of the country is represented at your event. Um, you know, so the word travels then a little bit further than than just your, you know, your little region there that uh, you're, you're located in. So let's say you're on the East Coast, you have an event, people from the West Coast come out there and, and, and ride these these uh, roller coasters that you have and experience the other attractions. Yeah, for sure, it's going to help because, uh, you know, people start to talk, they share their experiences on social media. Uh, so the awareness, you know, just grows by having these kind of events. So it certainly doesn't hurt, definitely doesn't not hurt yeah i mean so uh does does ace will ace and like major coaster clubs like ace um do they represent a fair amount of the voting structure do you think not, ne not necessarily no but what it does is a lot of the you know attendees of these events you know they they do know the people who do vote and, and uh you know word travels you know those who do have a vote you know they follow people on social media and you know they see all the the rave reviews of these different right. attractions not just the roller coasters but we're talking food shows everything else and uh you know it kind of shapes you know the, the perception of what these attractions are about 
Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I guess that that is the influence. I, I mean, again, how many people do you think have Fury listed as their favorite coaster that haven't ridden it? Just because everybody's like, dude, you gotta, you gotta ride that. I, I bet it's a lot. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I would say it's their most desired coaster. I don't think anyone will put it on the, the ones that do their list. They're not going to put a coaster that they haven't ridden on their top. No, I'm not, 10, I'm not necessarily saying like a, um, like a coaster enthusiast, but I'm saying like the average person that's like a voter. Well, no, maybe the voter, but I'm saying the average person that's just aware that there are other parks outside of their home park. You know, they may be like, that's the best coaster on earth just because I heard that, you know, and yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. And I think that, yeah, I think that, that plays voting. into it. It does. It does play into it, uh, you know, and a lot of these, uh, you know, Millennium Force, Fury 325, you know, they get on those national shows too, the travel channel, those kind of things. And and that just really, you know, enhances the, the awareness for those coasters. I think that the for me, um, you know, t- talking about Millennium Force, because I've got an all new respect for Millennium Force, because when I rode that the first time in like 2007 or so, I was kind of disappointed. Um, I, I guess I just went in not knowing what to expect. And in the past like three years, I've just come to love it. But I think that one of the things that makes that ride attractive as far as being dominating and um, memorable and stuff is the way that it looks. Like that um, power line looking structure, as I like to call it, is very iconic. You could see anybody that knows anything about coasters can see just the lift hill and know what ride that is. So I, I think that yeah, might have something to, to, to do with its lasting, you know, which which is deserved. I'm not putting putting anything down about it, but... I don't know. I've got a new respect for it now that I've ridden it more. I, I love how. The yeah, and there's a little bit more to that ride than just the ride itself. I mean, there's also you know the surrounding area. You're going up that lift hill, and you look out to your left, and there's all that yeah. water, you know, out there. I mean, you, you can't beat the views, and so that's another thing that I think plays into it as well. That uh, you know, it's more than just a great steel roller coaster. There's also you know the visual aspect of it. Yeah, I, I think Cedar Point definitely has a. A, a running head start with a lot of these coasters because uh, a lot of the people that I've talked to, like before I ever rode Val Raven, it wasn't even so much about the ride. It was, you should see Lake Erie from the top of that. Cause if, I mean, and I'm sure they designed it that way, but you, you can just see for 10, 15 miles out on the Lake Erie from the top. And I think that that, as far as like a um, de facto coaster element adds a lot to the ride. You know, I really think it does. All right. It does. So, um, you know, so the Golden Ticket Awards are, um, you know, September 9th and 10th, which is what, Friday and Saturday, I'm guessing, this week, 2022? Friday and Saturday. Awesome. Yes. Um, yes. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, there's a networking event and stuff, but the average person doesn't get to go, but they are streaming it online. So if you look at Amusement Today, are they doing it on YouTube this year? They used to just do it through their website, but... I'm not sure if it's going to be on YouTube or just their website, but, uh, you know, there's also, um, you know, other people that will be streaming it live. So it's going to be out there. You know, I would, I would recommend, you know, that whatever channel amusement today does it through, that's the one that you're following. But, uh, you know, there's a number of people that are also going to be streaming it. So it won't be hard to watch and, uh, you know, it's not open to the, to the public. So you really have to be, you know, part of the industry or supplier right. or a journalist to attend this event, but it's certainly, you know, time to watch it and, uh, you know, just observe, just see how well done it is. I mean, Gary Slade, Tim Baldwin, and the list goes on, on and on from music today. I mean, they were spectacular event. I'd love to attend someday. Um, have you ever been before to the actual ceremony? I have. 
Where, where I have been in, um, there and uh, also like Dollywood, you know, I've been when it's been there. So yeah, I've been there multiple times and uh, just, just a fantastic event from the night before to the, you know, all the way through the ceremony and then the, the post ceremony. That's awesome. Activities. Yeah, it's. Uh, I really like the Golden Ticket Awards. I don't always agree with the voting, but I mean, that's the nature of voting, you know. But um, I always like it. I'm always rooting for my favorites, uh, my home part. And, there, you know, we've talked about it. There's always a lot of factors. You can have the best new ride of 2022, but if it opens in July, then not enough people have ridden it to vote for it. The, that's, that's just the fact of it. But... Um, yeah, definitely really cool. So just check it out. Uh, more information on amusementtoday.com. You can actually look up archival all the way back to 1998 uh, as to who won what in the different categories and stuff. Um, one thing that uh, I'm kind of excited about with, uh, like, when we go down to IAPA is that uh, if we go to Universal, because we're kind of toying with that idea, the they used to have a category for best restaurant and uh, mythos at Universal, at Islands of Adventure, that used to win it every single year, hands down. And uh, our you you and I have a mutual friend named Alex who used to always order the swordfish there. Now, Don, how many times have you gone to the theme park and ordered the swordfish? Oh, my gosh. Let me see here. There's zero times. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it's a Bucky's or something where you can trust the swordfish. Um, that's very exciting. By the way, so wanted to fully disclose. Why, yeah. No, but you know what? Let's, let's talk about this for a second, though. Okay, swordfish, universe. And that's something for Alex that has made Universal memorable for him. So it's not just about the rides and the shows and those kind of things. He's also thinking about the food. He's thinking about the swordfish that he had. Exactly. In the restaurant, um, think of it as like, a, have you ever eaten there before? Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. Mythos is like a really nice restaurant. I would say not necessarily dress up or anything, but like, like P.F. Chang's, like kind of like a, Higher than an Applebee's, but lower than like a five star, you know, it's a restaurant like that. Uh, it's really nice on the inside. It's got fountains and stuff on the inside, but it's full of sweaty tourists. So it's definitely fun. So for those of you who haven't um, seen it, it's it's across from Poseidon's Fury and Islands of Adventure. But uh, that's neither here nor there. By the way, uh, I was trying to get at this before, but um, I talked a couple times about uh, streaming live during the Golden Ticket Awards. Unfortunately, we, we don't have a good way of doing that. So I think I uh, got a little bit ahead of the uh, the carriage for that one. So we're going to try to do that maybe next year. But this year, we're going to do the preview show. and We'll, we'll review some of, the, um, some of the, the awards that were handed out if there's any shockers uh, next week on the show. Um, so, Don... We had a couple things tweeted at us this week. Why don't, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Well, one of the things that uh, the Attractions Group uh, podcast uh, Twitter asked was, and I thought it was a great question that was thrown out there, was what differenti differentiates a good uh, amusement theme park from a great? And I, I thought the, the, the responses were, you know, people brought up some great points. I, I completely agree, you know, um, so a, a lot of them were, um, let me pull up the actual tweet itself because we had some, some very good ones. Um, but, but some of the, the questions that I have as a follow-up are kind of like, you know, people were listing a lot of things and then it's like, are these mutually exclusive or not? Because, um, you know, it's, we had some people that were saying, a great theme, great storytelling, you know, that sort of stuff. But can you have 
a great park with only having a great theme and not telling a great story? Or can you tell a great story without a great theme? Um, so like Arthur Levine said, a commitment to great storytelling ad- adherence to theme, delicious, creative, and unique foods that's presented um, with exceptional customer service, good value, and the list goes on. You know, and, and I think that's true. So my question I pose to you, Don, is can any one of those outshine the other and make a great park? Or do you need to have a lot of hats on? Well, I think you need to be pretty well balanced. I mean, you just can't have one thing that's going to uh, dominate for you to be considered a great, um, great park. Um, I, I think it always, for me, it always starts with, uh, you know, the associates, mm-hmm. you know, your, your park is only going to be as good as the people operating it. And, uh, you know, they're the ones that touch every point, you know, so whether you're, you're coming, you know, your first touch points coming through the parking tolls, the admissions booth, uh, you're going to encounter, you know, associates on the midways, you're going to go see them in the shops, the restaurants, the rides, the attractions. So I think it's there that, uh, you know, to, to be great, your associates have to be great. So it really starts there. And then everything else kind of comes together after that. But, uh, you know, the dining experience needs to be good, uh, you know, to great, uh, the ride experience, good to great. Uh, uh, the live entertainment needs to be good to great. So all those things come, to, you know. So at the end of the day, your score, if you're you're keeping score, uh, would uh, would determine what's the difference between a good and a great park. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know much about NASCAR, but one thing that's always kind of rung with me, and I don't even know if this is true anymore, is you know, I I I was asking my friends that are just really into that stuff, like, so how many races do you have to win to like get the cup? And they were like, well, it's not about winning the race; it's about consistently finishing in the top, you know, it's top 10 or so. So I, I think that, you know, the same thing could be true for theme parks. You know, you don't have to have the world's great. You don't have to have a fury millennium force. You just got to have a really good ride. You don't have to have, um, right. And you know, you know, a mythos in you, in, but you have to have food that's consistent and good. And, um, you don't have to have Disney level theming, but you do have to have theming that kind of corresponds and shows that you care and, and it's well-maintained and stuff. And you don't have to have Dollywood level shows, but you do have those shows that are people come in and they sit down and watch them and they think, I'm glad I spent the time. You know, I wasn't just sitting here to be in the air conditioning, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing on top of that, like, like I'm going to take my, my own experience here. Like I mentioned, it comes down to like the associates. That's the starting point. That's one of the first things I notice is, you know, all the different uh, associates that they have working there and how that impacts the, the operations of everything. Uh, but for me also is, um, you know, what makes a great park is, did it take you away from, you know, the everyday, did it put you in a different world, you know, kind of a thing. That's where like the theming, the storytelling and, and all of that comes into play as well too. So um, there's a lot of different factors that go into it, but you know, you reference NASCAR. I think that's a perfect mm-hmm. thing that uh, you don't, you don't have to win every race. Uh, but if you get enough points in all the other categories, you know, you're going to win. Yeah, I mean, and I think that the question that I asked would be kind of tantamount to somebody that's asking us like, so how good of a roller coaster do you have to have to have the greatest park in the world? And it's like, well, you can have a, you can, you can have, you know, Velocicoaster times five, Iron Gwazi times 10. And if the rest of your park is just that, then the park isn't great. The ride's great, you know? Um, but you mentioned like, you know, taking things out of this world. And it's funny how the balance has to act because on one hand, you're telling me, you know, you got to take people out of this world and into the theme park world. But on the other hand, we had an episode a couple months ago about using a mobile app. So, uh, it's funny how you have to walk that line in terms of, you know, 
no, put down your phone. Enjoy yeah. the moment. On the other hand, like use your phone as a utility. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you talk about you know having a great roller coaster. I'm not going to name the park, but uh, you know, in, in 1984, I went to a park and uh, the roller coaster phenomenal. You know, one of the best roller coasters I've ever ridden. But everything else about that park was not good. It was a you know hassle getting in. It was a hassle you know trying to get a meal. It was a hassle, you know, buying a ticket. Just everything about it you know, was, was not fun, but the roller coaster phenomenal. But in the overall picture, when I'm thinking about, you know, some of my best uh, memories of, of, you know, going to parks, that was just because everything else, you know, brought down the, the, the experience on that roller coaster for me. So, yeah, you know, I, I think to me, you got that, you got, um, I think you have to at least grade out good at every, in every category to, to be great. You know, and what's funny though, is uh, one thing that I think that nobody would ever think of, uh, but I would think of because this is how my mind works is, um, the amount of shade in a park, I think really affects things because if you, how many times have people gone to, uh, gone to Disney or universal and it's like, so let's say straight up they're they're going to have a wonderful experience there. You know, it's, they're going to have a great theme, great rides, great associates, you know, up there amongst like some of the best parks. But what they talk about is it was 100 degrees down there in Orlando, you know. So I think that, um, you know, taking considerations for the people in the park really plays a factor in it. Because I can tell you that there have been parks that I've gone to that are just like little parks that don't offer a lot. But it happens to be a random 71 degree day and it's cool out. And I just I feel like I'm having way more fun than I actually am because I'm used to being, you know, sweaty and dripping and stuff. But I'm actually really comfortable. So I don't know. Lots of different stuff. I guess you could put that under the category of, you know, design of the park and consideration for the guests and, and stuff like that. Um, er, well, we, another thing that, you know, speaking of our Twitter attractions underscore GRP, by the way, we forgot to say that. Um, we tweeted out asking for a question. We only got one and it's from Donnie Lakes and he wants to know what goes into special events at a park, such as an anniversary festival, like Halloween stuff. Uh, Christmas stuff. What are your thoughts on that? You know, if you were to bucket list something like that. Well, planning. I mean, it has to be well planned to to pull off a great event. Uh, you, you have to have the right people uh, that are, are putting those events together in in your you know your entertainment, the core teams, those kind of things. So, um, you know, those two go hand in hand there. Uh, but really, you have to you know you just can't throw something out there and hope it works. You know, you have to really spend a lot. Uh, you know, planning the event, uh, coming up with ways to, you know, where's it going to fit into the, um, you know, the marketing plan. Um, so it's, it's just a lot, a lot involved, uh, you know, besides just the event itself. Just discussions. So let me ask you this. Uh, I had something that kind of comes to mind is, uh, and this completely ties back to the, you know, the, the great theme park question is um, you can have, a an a, event like there there were some well let's just say because they're gone so paramount parks had Winterfest, you know in in 2004 2005 sorry everything in Winterfest was really cool the tree lighting was cool it had pyro their show was cool they had like a, a light up tree thing before anybody else had that but at the same time the event felt like there was nothing to do because there wasn't enough to do um, so you felt like you went there and you, you know, it's, you can do everything in the first two hours and then why did I spend this money? 
How do you make that determination? Like, how do you look at this stuff and be like, okay, whether there's 10,000 people in the gates or 30,000 people in the gates, there's going to be enough stuff to do to occupy, you know, five hours or however long the event lasts. I think you just have to, you know, know and understand your audience and who's coming to your park. What uh, type of activities do you need? Have uh, families with young children, you can't have all thrill in your park, you know. So you have to kind of balance it out to make sure there's something for everyone that walks through the gate and that they enjoy. Um, that may be the food, that may be the shows, that may be the rides, uh, that may be some of those additional different, you know, activities and experiences. But when you're planning these events, you have to look at it and say, okay, okay there's got to be something for ever going to be coming through the gates that you know there's something that they're going to find that they enjoy and that they're going to want to do over and over again too yeah and i guess there's probably a factor in that involving um the time it takes to do it so you know if you've got a half hour show you're going to commit 35 to 45 minutes to that but also it's like you have to make that determination like how long is somebody really gonna look around our artisan village you know, it, I, I think it would be very difficult to be like, oh, for that extra two and a half hours, they can go shopping or whatever. You, you pro there's probably a lot more formulaic stuff as far as making the determination of, you know, under the other category, um, how much time it takes up. Because you also don't necessarily want to have it so there's too much stuff to do because people will feel undervalued. Like I spent $45 and I didn't get to do everything. Be people have to be able to do you want to agree on 80% of the attractions or so at an event? I don't know that I'd want to put a percentage, you know, on what, what that would be, but, uh, you know, you do want to have, again, like something, something for everyone. You want there to be, you know, value that they feel that, uh, you know, it was worth their time when they came there mm -hmm. and, you know, whether that shows or, you know, it, the crafts, the, the shopping, um, you know, you just need to make it an immersive experience. Now, you go back to these winter events. You know, it started obviously at Kings Island back in 1982 with Winterfest, but then other chains started doing different winter events as well. Right. Uh, but you also see now when they all first start open, you know, you had right. maybe your carousel, maybe a train ride. Um, but as time went on, you know, so there are now some roller coasters that operate during these events. There's uh, you know, more flat rides that are open during these events. And those are the kind of learnings that you have over the years that, uh, you know, it, it can't just be a walk around experience. You have to have some other things, uh, you know, some components of it uh, that your park's known for uh, that guests still want to come and do. Yeah. And I think that another good example, because you, I mean, you're talking about the evolution of the event based on just what you learned over the course of time is um, I feel like most chains uh, for Halloween events are not doing um, as many houses, but doing a lot more environment stuff. Uh, that's that's an observation I've had because I remember when um, a, a local park did thirteen haunted houses, and it's kind of like, why not do seven that are great rather than thirteen that are okay? Um, but a lot more, I, you know, nowadays with the technology, with the lighting and the fog and stuff like that, that's progressed so far, like. I, I would bank on that because I think a lot of people come for the rides too during those things. Um, so it's important to have the rides open. So to have a cool environment like, you know, this is Six Flags Fiesta Texas, but it's also definitely Halloween, you know, is um, yeah. I, I think that's a really good balance to have. Yeah. I mean, it's gone from, you know, the, um, you know, quantity to quality, you know, when you're looking at those uh, indoor, you know, outdoor maze type, type attractions. 
um, throughout the industry. I mean, it was, you know, that number 13 always played into like the Halloween event, right. those kind of things. And, you know, that was kind of the magic number that a lot of parks tried to get to. Um, but, you know, it's better to have you know, four or five really good ones than, you know, 10 or so okay ones. Right. Well, and, uh, and it does 13, come down to I think the intention you know, also with 13, not just playing off of like Friday the 13th and stuff, is that the more houses you have, that's more people in line and that's dispersing the crowd because it's no, it's, there's no denying that it, it disperses crowds, a new ride or anything does it too. You know, if, if you're, if you're at Cedar point and millennium force goes down for the day, it makes every line 15 minutes longer because all those people have to go somewhere, you know? But, um, but, but so having 13 houses, I think the intention was, um, you know, to, to make it so it's more of a 20 to 25 minute wait than it is an hour. Um, but, you know, again, with the environmental stuff, when the houses aren't as important, it kind of plays the same, the kind of plays the same tune as far as I'm concerned, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's always, you know, for me, when I've gone around uh, to different parks for the Halloween season, I like, you know, just that immersive experience, just walking around. I can have as much fun with the atmosphere and having the scare actors and things on the, the roamers and the creepers and that on the streets as I could going through a maze. So to me, it's just, you know, from the time that you come through the front gate, you're immersed in this experience. And whether you're going through mazes or you're not, you're part of it. You know, so I think parks that find a way to do, to do that have been the Halloween events that I've enjoyed the most. I agree. Um, and sometimes even like... Uh visual stuff can be a huge attraction. Like um, I, I went to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal uh, Florida several years ago, and they did projection mapping on, you know, those fake facade buildings to make them look like they were falling and stuff. And like, that was so cool. Like, even if I didn't get to get through any houses, just seeing something so cool like that would have been kind of an experience in itself. Uh, my understanding, they didn't have it the year I was there, but uh, the year before they had it. So they had stuntmen, dressed as like vampires and stuff on some sort of rigging and they could jump between the rooftops and stuff. Like, how cool is that? You know, you're not in a haunted house. They have great haunted houses, of course, but you're not in a haunted house, but seeing something like that, that's, that's really special, you know? Right. And it makes it well, you know, um, with those kind of things, but, uh, you know, appreciate the question there about that. And, uh, you know, we want the show to be more interactive. So definitely give us a follow on Twitter. It's attractions, underscore grp and we are at i think what 81 followers going into today we wanted to get to 100 and i'll start giving away some of my uh, theme park memorabilia once we get to 100 i'll just randomly select a couple of the winners there uh, but again give us a follow you know send us some questions you know we want to make it interactive uh, we want you to be part of this yeah show. we're actually at 83 so we're a little bit closer to cleaning out miss helvig's garage so she can finally park her car in there you know and get rid of some of your stuff that's right yeah the, yeah it's uh you know we're in september so it's not gonna be long before you know we get to, i need to, to clear up some space so we can park the cars in there yeah uh, uh, but uh, ryan you know take a little bit of a different spin this week on our uh, pick six we normally talk about different things going on around the industry but in honor of amusement today's golden ticket awards let's each come up with three different um categories that aren't really part of the, the, the voting that we'd like to see added as a category as, you'll go first as part of <laughs> you know we skipped the pick six intro one time last week because we do it in person and you completely forget that we have it all right okay so uh as don was saying that we're each going to pick three 
uh, subject matters that we think could be cool golden ticket award uh, winners from, you know, if Amusement Today ever listens to this podcast and decides to do it. Um, you said you wanted me to go first? Yeah, you go first. I think that uh, a really good, um, a, a really good golden ticket winner would be uh, a best social media presence. So I, I feel like there is everywhere between non-existent and great in the theme park industry. Um, we've got some that are just, uh, you know, you could write books about how, you know, how to do the social, you know, if you, you're talking about blogs, tweet up, stuff like that. Um, that, uh, that is something that, uh, you know, when we talk about mentorship and stuff like that in the industry, you know, if you could get yourself paired up with somebody that just really nails the social media and understands the psychology behind it, I think that would be a really, really cool category. All right. Uh, for me, uh, how about uh, best mobile app experience? You know, everybody has a, uh, that mobile device now. They're using mobile apps. So which has the best mobile app experience? Well, I also had best mobile app. Um, I think that's awesome. I, I think that uh, right now the apps are, are so standard because uh, Six Flags has an app and, you know, Cedar Fair has an app and stuff. And it's basically the same throughout the, the chain. Uh but, you know, I think something like this might drive differentiation, you know, because if you're at, uh, you know, you're at Holiday World and they say, download the best app in the industry, you, you, you might want to check that out, you know, then you get your sales message and stuff. So I, I really like that. Um, I wish they would do that. <laughs> All right. Um, so a number three category that I have down is uh, best website. Uh, because we've seen every everything okay. from GeoCities all the way up to interactive and fun and stuff. Um, but I, I think that it would be best website from the standard of, uh, you know, from the industry standard. Like, how easy is it to purchase tickets? How well does it display your deals? How well does it drive engagement and, and things of that site, of that sort? Okay, yeah, good point there. I think that would be a valid, you know, category to add and everybody's using everything. To, you know, you, you're buying your tickets and everything in advance, if not, not through the web, website, through the mobile app. So I think we have two categories here, Ryan, uh, that would uh, merit consideration to be added to. Right. My next one, I want to come back into the park experience itself, and uh, I'm going to go with best night ride. You know, there's a lot of rides out there that during the day it might be a ho hum experience, but you get to the, the night, it's a whole different animal out there. So best night ride experience would be uh, a category I'd like to see added. Yeah. Uh, well, and. It's uh, you, we see that with the uh, debut of rides that they often put out nighttime POVs and stuff because, I mean, if you think about it, we've talked about how keeping people in the park and drives per capita spending. So, you know, with fireworks shows at night and so on, that that's all a good valid reason. But if it's like, dude, you got to ride Phoenix at night, you know, that's gonna keep somebody around because there's no way to do that during the day unless you close your eyes, I suppose. So that's that's a really good one. Um, so one category that I had is, and this would be kind of uh, splintering off of previous categories, is uh, best seasonal event. So they do best Halloween, they do best Christmas, but when we're talking, I would say we would be pitting Carnival against Mardi Gras and stuff like that, where it's like we're two-week limited run, that, that kind of thing. Because I feel like if you have the best one, then... Um, that would be marketable, and I think it should be recognized uh, because I feel like core season stuff doesn't get 
Uh, Corsi's and unique stuff doesn't get the the praise that it should have during the golden tickets, you know, because there's there's mm-hmm. always the best Halloween, there's always best Christmas, but you know something during the core season I think would be would be kind of cool. Okay, so for number five for me, I'm gonna go with uh, you know they have the the golden ticket award for best new roller coaster, best new um, how uh, best marketing campaign for for a new attraction. Ooh, I like that. Or, or even you could go as far as like a teaser campaign, you know, cause I, if, if, if you're having, yeah, exactly. Uh, cause you know, you, there's, there's no denying that there is an enthusiast aspect to it and that's who you're marketing to with a teaser. I, I really like that idea. What do you, do you, so we've talked about this before, but what do you think makes for a great teaser campaign for a new attraction? I think if you got the interest of your audience, you know, if they're talking about it and they're speculating and you know, you're seeing that on fan sites, social about the different things that you're putting out there as your teasers, then, you know, that's going to be successful. If no one's talking about you, you know, then you, you really didn't uh, do anything to, to prompt that interest and awareness and uh, for what, uh, what you're ready to announce. Awesome. Yeah. That, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I love, uh, Nowadays with social media, you know, if you put if you put like a, a some orange spray paint on the ground, it's making the rounds. Um, yeah. Oh, it <laughs> uh, is. So so if you actually put up a teaser uh, very campaign, well. it's got to go pretty far, you know. Because um, again, you know, there's a lot of instances, and we've discussed this in the past, where um, people know quite a bit. They're all smart marks now, where they they know what you're adding and they know a lot about it, but. They don't necessarily know the theme and the color and the name and stuff like that. So that's where the teaser stuff comes in as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you stepped on my toes with the um, with the best mobile app. So I've got to get, kind of pick one off the top of my head. Um, I would say cleanest restrooms. And I mean that honest to God because that comes up. In fact... Uh, there are, there have been times when I've been saying like, oh, I'm going to this park and they're like, okay, we'll avoid these restrooms they are disgusting, you know? So for those of you who are listening that are in the, the ecology side of things, like people do pay attention. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Don? Like I, I, cause I feel like having a clean restroom implies a clean kitchen. That's, that's always something that's kind of struck with me. <laughs> you know what? Um, that is a category that, uh, you know, when, when we were talking about doing this as our pick six, that, you know, it did cross my mind about that. I think that it impacts every guest experience that, that comes to a park. You know, they're all going to um, be able to talk about which ones were good, which ones weren't, those kind of yeah. things. So, yeah, I think it uh, it's a valid, um, valid category. And, you know, although they're not an amusement theme park, they're not in the attractions industry, if you were to add these people to the list... Mm. Bucky's. God, I didn't realize I was setting you up for that. Hands down, hands down, hands down the cleanest restrooms I've ever seen. You can eat off the floor. Please. Don, if we ever go somewhere and we pass a Bucky's, I'm going to make you eat off the floor of the restaurant just to prove it, and I will <laughs> live stream it. Uh, no, but Bucky's really does have. I'm, I'm confident. I'm confident enough in, in, in what those have, have looked like the times that I've gone to Bucky's that, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'd be willing to try it, Ryan. You know, uh, for Bucky's, uh, like, the the restroom for me, I feel like the most guaranteed cleanest restrooms are are at um, 
rest stops. Like, I don't know if everyone's had that experience, but, you know, if you stop at a gas station, you can be like, uh, no, I'm not going to use that. But um, the rest stops, like, at least through Ohio, are always really, really clean. And Bucky's is, like, that clean plus a little bit more plus the restrooms are way nicer. So um, I guess yeah. you would probably yeah, need but, that. You know, just to backtrack real quick, yeah, back to our industry real quick, uh, is that, um, you know, I mean, I, I've gone to, you know, just lots of parks and I'd say for the most part, most of them do a really, really good keeping the restrooms clean. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you're talking thousands of people every day. My my first ever job was at McDonald's when I was 15. And, um, I, I, like, I remember like my first day I was little, little 15 year old Ryan. And, um, the, the manager was training me and she was like, now, make sure that you clean up every little thing on the floor and every single table and every single this, every single that. And um, she's like, you know, why, you know why that's important? I was like, well, you want to have the restaurant clean. She's like, right. But if people see that and they, if they see that their restrooms are dirty and that's somewhere they can see, their imagination goes wild for where they can't see. You know, so if your restrooms are clean, if your midways are clean, if your trash cans are changed, I'm going to trust that your your kitchens are pretty clean, too. You know, and I, I think that mentally everybody does that. Mm-hmm. Do you have a pick left or is that well, it? This is a fun episode, Ryan. <laughs> what was that? No, that's that's Whoa. it. Yeah, this is a this is a fun episode. Cool. Well, Gary Slade, if you uh, if you if you listen to us, then tweet at us and let us know which one of these categories you want to pick for next year's Golden Ticket Awards. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, okay, as Don stated earlier, we are up to, what is it, 83, I believe, um, Twitter followers. Yeah, so at 100, we're, Don's going to start giving away stuff to random people, and then we'll do some uh, where we go on live on YouTube, and um, you know we'll do trivia questions or something fun like that so Don can have his garage sale like he needs. Um, but, uh, we appreciate the interaction everyone's had, but people have been reacting really well on Twitter recently. We want to have this show. So you guys learn what you want to learn and ask us what you want to ask us and, and, uh, that sort of stuff. So thank you so much for that. Uh, again, 83 followers We're at attractions underscore GRP. Uh, if you want to join in the real fun and see our pretty noggins, then look for the attractions group on YouTube. Um, make sure you subscribe there because we're going to start going live there and start giving away stuff. So, Don, any final words of advice coming out of this Labor Day weekend? You know, it's uh, every year it just amazes me how fast summer flies by. You know, here we are now; it's ready for the the fall season. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, get out to your your parks and enjoy those Halloween events. Yeah, and uh, you know, that's a quick season too. You know, usually it's six to eight weeks for all the parks that uh, they're doing these Halloween events, but get out, experience them, you know, go have fun. Yeah. Now that my local park has the, the Christmas event, I'm finally at the mentality where when daily operations ends, that's like the midpoint of the season, you know, because it used to be, I would start to get bummed out around like 4th yeah. of July, knowing that like, Hey, there's only a few more weeks of this, you know, cause it, you're right. It does go fast. But now like, I mean, the winter stuff is so cool and the, the Halloween stuff is so cool that um, I kind of look forward to the, the 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 right half of the season, you know. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, go out there and enjoy the parks. Don, happy Labor Day weekend. Um, 
we will be back. You too, Ryan. And uh, yeah, we'll be back this week. We kind of screwed up you. our schedule because uh, Don had fantasy football draft or something like that when we were supposed to. Record. I did fantasy football draft. <laughs> okay, yes. uh, so um, so we're gonna record again uh, probably this week. So if you're gonna consider this a Sunday as part of the following week, then we'll have two episodes this week. But uh, thank you again for listening. Remember at attractions underscore GRP, follow us on your favorite YouTube apps and or follow us on your favorite podcast apps and look for us on YouTube. Give us a subscribe. So thank you guys so much. Have a good long weekend and we will see you this coming week. Bye.